Today is the last uh, chapter in um, the book of James, and as we finish off this um, season in James, I would like to invite all of you just to, if you've got your Bibles with you, to open to James chapter 5, verses 13, and read along with me. Is anyone among you suffering? Let him pray. Is anyone cheerful? Let him sing praise. Is anyone among you sick? Let him call for the elders of the church and let them pray over him, anointing him with the oil in the name of the Lord. And the prayer of faith will save the one who is sick and the Lord will raise him up. And if he has committed sins, he will be forgiven. Therefore, Confess your sins one to another and pray for one another that you may be healed. The prayer of a righteous person has great power as it is working. Elijah was a man with a nature like ours and he prayed fervently that it might not rain. And for three years and six months it did not rain on the earth. Then he prayed again and heaven gave rain and the earth bore its fruit. My brothers, if anyone among you wanders from the truth and somebody brings him back let him know that whoever brings back a sinner from his wandering will save his soul from death and will cover a multitude of sins let us pray father we just thank you that first you loved us that father god we were created in your image And that, Father, you've chosen us to walk this life together in this season. And, Father, we just thank you that you've surrounded us, not only with a heavenly choir, heavenly witnesses, but, Father God, our brothers and sisters in Christ, in our family that we find here at Graphites and in our greater area. Father God, thank you that we can celebrate your word in ladies' retreats and gathering together whenever we choose to gather together. And so, Father, we pray, even as we gather together this morning, that your spirit would just indwell us, that you give us fresh revelation as the day is new, that we may walk in strength and in power of your spirit. We pray and ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Uh, no, I haven't. It takes practice, you know. See? <laughs> Practicing what I'm preaching. Confusion. You know when you first come to the Lord, right? And, and, you, and you say this in this prayer. I know it's a bit of a... Sometimes people say this in this prayer, whatever. It's just, But for the sake of discussion is when you first ask God to come into your life sincerely and say Lord I've walked this road living in this world on my own terms for far too long and I recognize that I really don't have anything to offer you I've got nothing to offer this world other than Lord I pray that you would come and live in my life that you would take me by the hand And lead me into your truth. 
Do you guys all remember that moment? Do you remember the moment you first opened the Bible for yourself? My first Bible I got on the streets of Helsinki. I can't even read it anymore. The writing's so small. I've had to move on to large print. That's why this Bible looks so new and small. still smells relatively good. Victoria's taken that Bible and she thinks it's, she's got all my cheat notes in it. So she says that when she's trying to do, uh, attends a Bible study, it, it goes well for her because she's got all the cheat, cheat notes. Then it made me think, even as your pastor, do you know, everything I preach is nothing new. Nothing I give you is novel or my own words. There's nothing new under the sun. When I'm preparing for my sermons, I'm reading from two or three commentaries on the Word of God. You, I can go online and I can go through the Blue Letter Bible. I can go to godquestions.com. I go to a myriad of places to understand what I want to talk about. There's nothing new in what I have to say. The, this Word of God is 2,000 years old. Right? And, and it goes on before that. 5,000 years of written word. Is what I offer you today really new? The only thing I can truly offer you as your pastor or somebody bringing a message is the time that I've spent this week spending and listening to what others have got to say about this precious book. The only thing that I can truly claim to be my own is my own story in relation to the word of God. It's called my testimony. When you think of Revelation 12, what does it say? By the blood of the Lamb and by the word of our testimony that we shrink back not from death, that we will overcome him who is in the world. So only, the only thing that I have of value to the story is I can tell you my testimony, what God has done in my life. That's the only thing that's novel in you. Everything else, in a way, is plagiarism. When you go to a seminary and you've got to write a, 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 on any topic, you, you've got to choose 15 people that would argue for a topic and 15 people that would argue against a topic. And so you will and you argue to and fro what different people believe that different verses mean. But you really pretty, you learn pretty early on in the subject that we don't know too much when we start out. But you see, the word of God is like a gold mine. And you find the rich seam and you start mining that rich seam of gold. And you progress down and God, as you spend time with God, he reveals his word to you. And so you start taking this word of God and you start applying it into your life. And you start sharing your life with others. And the word of God becomes truth and life. And you know what, family? I see God, I see the word operating through most of you that I've interacted with. You apply the word of God. You do ministry of whatever shape or form. You've made the word yours. You say, Jesus, I want to be like you. So we begin to operate. We, we read the word, we apply it to our lives, and we start walking in abundance of the word. This is the journey we all have to go down. You know, so when we read in the book of James, James is the brother of Jesus, is he not? <laughs> while, while Jesus was growing up in the household, I, I wonder what the conversations were sometimes like. 
Later on, when J- James has a greater revelation of who Jesus is, James's thoughts on wisdom literature, I find immeasurably of value. You're sitting at the feet of James in this moment and, and him speaking about Christ and the word. This is, this is powerful stuff. And through thousands of years, men and women of God have sat down reading this word, mined the treasure that is the word of God, and have come up with all sorts of amazing revelations of just what a wonderful God we serve. And today it's just a privilege to be able to, to chat and talk about the word of God. It's something to be excited about, to be cherished. And so we, we do not know what we do not know. When Victoria was born, Nicola was only 16 months old. And, and we brought Nick, Victoria home from the hospital. We put her on the bed in the carry cart. At 16 months old, Nicola didn't know how to respond to Victoria. So she pre- proceeded to push Victoria out of the carry cart and put herself in the carry cart. You see, Nicola saw Victoria at 16 months old, but what was her revelation of a brand new baby in the house at 16 months? She didn't know what this new creature was. And so it is with us too. When we look in this world and and as we pastor the flock and work with people, often we're dealing with people that we don't know too much about. And as we gain revelation in working with God's people, we learn to serve people with where God has got people. You know, when I find and meeting people for the first time and people come to me and they want a conversation about the word of God or something, I've got to pray for revelation pertaining to the person sitting in front of me. Because I'm always that 16-month-old kid dealing with a brand new baby Christian or a person, even if it's 16 months apart. In light of eternity, I'll always be a baby, will I not? And the persons I'm dealing with, whether you're a brand new baby Christian or baby been serving God longer, it doesn't matter. But we are still infants in Christ. And so we want to operate in maturity. And so we spend time saying, God, please give me revelation through your spirit, and through your word, that I can serve my brothers and sisters in Christ. You see, this violin is worth about 200,000 US dollars. It's known as a strat. How many of you can play a violin? Yes. So it might be $200,000 worth of violin, but if you can't play it, What? It means nothing. And so it is with every human being you ever meet, that person is so valuable that Jesus died for them that they're immeasurably precious. And understanding that God loves that person you're walking with and talking with immeasurably. And it is our privilege to walk alongside precious and wonderful people of God. People created in God's image. 
And God would have you and I take people gently and lead them and guide them in the truths of the word of God. Teaching them how to read the word of God. Spending time. How to read um, all sorts of things to understand the word better. And show them the disciplines that you have learned in growing deeper into the things of God. And show people how you've done it. But they themselves have got to learn to walk the walk and talk the talk. And make Jesus full in their life. And that's why spending time, and I think I mentioned last week or the week before, studies have shown if you're spending four times a week, if you're spending in the Word of God, you will see fruit in your life. You'll see change in your life. Your stress levels will go down. The anxieties of your, your life will go down. Your life will be changed for the good. Anything less than four times, it won't really bring about much change. What's the old adage? Show me your friends and I will show you your future. So as you spend time with God and the word, so God begins to influence you and change you into his truth. So what is James saying here? He says, is anyone amongst you suffering? Let him pray. Have you ever suffered? Do you think James has been through any suffering? Do you think if you witnessed your own brother on the cross, do you think that would give you any level of anxiety? We've all witnessed death, have we not? We know what suffering brings. But in suffering, James says, when you are suffering, pray. When you suffer, do you pray? Or do you go into a pity party? James is saying, no, no. There's no time for a pity party. What you need to do is say, God, right now, I need your hand. I need to hold your hand because I'm needing your comfort. I'm needing your wisdom in my suffering. And we hold on to the hand of God with everything we've got and we do not let go. And in fact, I suggest this for every aspect of life. Is anyone cheerful? Let him sing praise. While you're holding God's hand, let's sing his praises. Because you see, when we praise and sing to God, he inhabits our praises. What does it mean for God to inhabit our praises? Well, if you're having a conversation with somebody, there's a connection happening. There's communication that's happening both ways. So when you are conversing with God, whether praying or singing his praises, God is inhabiting the conversation. Wherever two or three are gathered in my name, I am there in their midst. Yes, God, when, when we reach out to God and spend time with God, God will come and tabernacle with us. That's what we're going to be celebrating in a few months. Jesus coming to tabernacle with you and I. And that's the journey. Let us pray. Let us tabernacle with God. Let us sing praise. Let us tabernacle with God. Is anyone among you sick? Let him call for the elders of the church and let them pray over him. Anointing him with oil in the name of the Lord. Why would you call elders? What does an elder mean? Can anyone hazard a guess? Shepherd. 
In my case, I would suggest to you, it's just somebody who's been there before. Have I suffered? Yes, I have. Martin, how did you overcome that? I threw myself before the, before the feet of God and said, God, here am I. Martin, Martin, there was sin. How did you get over sin? Well, when there was being sin in my life, I throw myself at the feet of God. And I say, Jesus, I, want to, I need to touch your feet this morning. I need to touch the hem of your garment for the forgiveness of sins. It's not that you lose your salvation, no, but it's a sanctification process. I know that I'm a sinner. And you know, family, I know you all sinners too. You're sitting here, aren't you? You know you're a sinner too. And you know what? Have you noticed that God doesn't send a lightning bolt down and zap every single one of you? No. God's plan is to set you free from these things that you are addicted to. He wants you to be free. How do I know that? Because the Bible tells me so. It says, and that's why you call some an elder. If you're a lady, you find a, a mature woman of God who's been there before you. Because they know how it's done. And they take some oil. And what is the oil? Oh, sorry, I was speaking. It's about this call to prayer and intercession of God's peace. But the oil. But you have exalted my horn like that of a wild ox. You have poured over me fresh oil. Psalm 92 verse 10. Anointing oil. What's David speaking about? Well, I don't think you get any moose in, in uh, Israel. I try to have a look. I don't think it happens. But David is speaking about a horn. For you gentlemen that of, of late that have gone out hunting, if you saw that sort of animal sitting in front of you, how many of you would feel quite happy? Why would that make you happy? What do the horns of that animal tell you about that animal? Come on, gentlemen. He's older. He's stronger. If you see those sort of male beasts out in the wild, what do you know about the stock in the forests? If you've seen those sort of sires in the community, you know the stock is strong. If all the male moose in the forest were mingy and lean and skinny and they had no horns of any value, what would you say about the stock in the forest? It's weak, is it not? In Africa, when they're hunting game and you, people have got game farms, and what they'll do is they will, they will dart that animal. They won't shoot it. They will dart it. And they will take it to another area because they want to cross Breed. They want, even amongst the elephants, the magnificent, the sires, the men. When you go into a Christian community, look at the men to know the condition of the flock. What, is, what does the flock look like? If you've got sheep or you've got cattle, you need good bulls. So David is saying here, you have exalted my horn like that of a wild ox. Where does David's strength come from? From God. The only strength I could claim to ever have is Christ in me by God's grace and by his blood. Wow. And, but I know that's the fullness. That is to which I was created. That's what makes me strong. Even when I am weak, I am strong in him. Because God indwells me. 
In 2 Samuel, we have the, the story of David's election to the office as king of Israel by Samuel and by the men of Judah as king over them. So Samuel anoints David, the, the men of Judah anoint David, and the tribes of Israel anoint David, all with this olive oil. There's this idea of anointing, the Holy Spirit, God's guidance. The, the Spirit of God in his gifts and graces and fresh oil intends to supply a fresh outpouring of his grace and the fullness of it which you and I find in Jesus. Spurgeon, if you want to go and read this deeper, uh, Spurgeon sort of speaks about the man of many sorrows. Who's the man of many sorrows? Christ. God pierced him with the transgressions of many. Yet in Christ, Christ had the gladness, had an anointing of gladness. Why was Christ glad? Why did he have the anointing of gladness? It says, what was Jesus' relationship to his father's calling on his life? He was glad to go about his father's business. He had the spirit of gladness. When Jesus sees God's children, he was happy. He was glad to be interacting with God's children. The spirit of gladness. When Jesus was on the, in all that pain, he was glad that he was at last finally reconciling mankind to his heavenly father. This is powerful. And you and I are called to this, the same ministry of reconciliation with the world. Because the world doesn't know God. They do not know the word. They haven't spent time with the word. And many people think, think it's, it's mythology. They don't think it's real. They just think what we believe is nothing. But I can tell you I've tasted God. And I've seen that he is good. I know that when I spend time with him, my life improves. When I'm falling, when I'm backsliding a little bit, I recognize that sin seeps back into my life and my strength wanes. My horn weakens. I'm no longer spiritually virile. I become weakened. And so we find a Samuel in your life. And Samuel can be a mature, godly woman. I've had mature, godly, mature woman believers in my life that have helped me immeasurably in my spiritual walk. But when you find an elder, a bull, you anoint my head with oil, my cup overflows. You look with somebody who's got an anointing for the word of God. You look for somebody who loves God and say, Lord, I want to love you just like this person. Love me. Teach me, Father. And I've learned in my own life, when you meet somebody with a gifting in something, you submit yourself to that gifting. And, it's, and the cup overflows. The anointing in their life overflows into the, your life. And if you're in submission to them, what will you receive? An impartation of their anointing. If I go into a kitchen and you've got an executive chef in a kitchen and they're brilliant in the kitchen, you say, may I stand next to you and help you in the kitchen? Their gifting is going to overflow into your life. If you come to the nine o'clock morning and Mrs. Pilo is playing the piano and she knows all these songs and I don't because people don't pay me to play the piano, they pay me to please stop playing the piano. Right? But as we submit to somebody's gifting, guess what happens? 
we receive an impartation of their gifting. Their strat gifting comes out. Their giftings that God has placed in their lives comes out and you and I share in their anointing. Wow. You want to get powerful in God's kingdom? Submit ye one to another. Submit to the giftings of people in your life. What are their strengths? Find them say, Lord, what is the gifting of this 16-month-old or this baby? Lord, allow me to submit to them, encourage them and grow in their anointing that they would benefit the kingdom of God. And the prayer of faith will save the one who is sick and the Lord will raise him up. And if he has committed sins, he will be forgiven. Therefore, confess your sins one to another and pray for one another that you may be healed. The prayer of a righteous person has great power as it is in its working. Sure, this is a difficult one. Now, when I was in a, a Pentecostal hypercharismatic movement and, and if you were sick, people will often say, the reason you are sick because there's sin in your life. The reason I've got a Timothy in my life because there's sin in my life pertaining to a Timothy. And when I was younger, this troubled me greatly. But as I've gotten older in the things of God, I'll tell you that sin is always in my life. I know that Jesus the more time I spend with Jesus, Jesus sanctifies me every day. That's why I take a shower in the word of God every day. I spend time with Jesus, I spend time in word, because I know God washes away and cleanses my sin. It's the process of sanctification, not salvation. But here it says, God will save you. What does this save mean? Does that mean healing? Well, let's just unpack that scripture. And I think if you're working on this, this is a wonderful scripture just to, to highlight and Go away and study. There's this causal link that the Bible brings in there between being sick, feeble, um, diseased, impotent. There is a causal link. You see, when it comes to sickness, and there's a causal link between sickness and sin. But we all know we've got sin in our life, so there's a link between sin and forgiveness that James is alluding to. So you know you're sick? Spiritually, we also know we're sick. I know that when I'm sinning and when my thoughts do not align with God's word, I know that, Lord, I have a, I'm feeble-minded in this thing. I'm diseased or impotent in my spiritual walk because of the sin. I don't love your people or this specific person because I'm walking in judgment to them or unforgiveness or whatever. I know that that unforgiveness, I know, is sickness. I know it is sin. And I know that inhibits the fullness of God being in control of my life. And so, I seek God's forgiveness. What does the Bible say? If a man comes to the altar of God and he's, got something, he's holding something against his brother, what should you do first? Leave it there. Go and make right with your brother and then come back. Why? Because God wants you to be healed. He wants you to be healthy. Come to his table, but no, first go and get well. And so forgiveness, and how do, you get how do you get forgiveness? Confession. Confess your sins. Say, you know what, I'm struggling with this right now. And yes, you can confess it directly to God. But sometimes God says, no, okay, you've confessed. But now I want you to go to your brother and give them forgiveness. The person who hurt you, I want you to go and forgive them. I've had to do that in my own life. 
I fought once, the, the longest fast I've ever done in my life was 21 days. At the end of the fast, God told me to go and seek forgiveness from your stepmother. My stepmother's not even a believer. And I didn't think she ever treated me right. You know, I was the sort of the oldest, but not really. But she, my half-brothers and sisters were more privileged in the family than I was. And I don't think she... And so, and God said, I want you to go back and seek forgiveness. I want you to honor her. Because when you were five years old, you came into her life. And she worked to feed you and clothe you like a Boaz. She didn't need to. She was marrying your father. And you came with it. She honored you. Yes, she didn't love you as much as she loved your brothers and sisters. But that's irrelevant. She still took care of you. She still fed you. She still clothed you. When you had a nightmare at night, she would come and comfort you. You need to honor that. You see, there's a blessing even in those that you do not love or do not feel that cherish you. And so you go back and you seek forgiveness because God is in the game of restoration. God is in the long game, not the short game. And I realize that by dishonoring her, I'm dishonoring what God gave to me in her. Does it make sense? I was judging my stepmother. She's dead now. But I had to go back and seek forgiveness. And I had to say, I just want to really appreciate everything you've done for me growing up. But she's a human being. So she got sin in her life. Well, absolutely right. And so can I walk in forgiveness and grace in that moment? And I understood that forgiveness and confession is powerful. You know, the other things in my life, when I was younger and I had this son and struggling with uh, beer and alcohol and, and, and lust and these sort of things, eventually I couldn't get rid of it and I had to go to a, a, a pastor, an elder in the church and say, you know what, <laughs> this doesn't seem to be going away. <laughs> right? Well, am I the only one in the room on this one? And so you had a brother in Christ who could walk you through the process of of sanctification and walking in accountability. Too many big men of God have fallen. You can go to the news. Many big men of God have fallen because there's no accountability to uh, brothers in Christ or sisters in Christ. We think we're safe. We, we can hide our sins away. No. You walk in accountability and you ask people to hold you accountable for your words, for your deeds, for everything. It's so much easier to do this together as a team sport than thinking you can do this on your own. Because really, family, you cannot. And so as I confess and I go to my brother in Christ, and they would pray for me, they would lay hands, they would anoint me, and say, Lord, I, just, I need this, get this out of my life. And you know what? Victory came. I submitted to the Samuels in my life. I don't know who the Samuels are in your life. But there's another link there. So we pray for each other. And we become righteous before God. And a righteous person becomes great power as a prayer of faith. So we're in this transition of being spiritually sick to sin, to forgiveness, to confession, praying for one another, becoming righteous, righteousness. And when we are righteous before God, we begin walking in great power. And the church needs to see great power in the world today. See, Elijah was a man of just like us. 
And so Elijah, who are the Elijahs in your life? Seek them out. Spend time with them. Who are the Ruths? Who are these people? Seek them out. Submit to them. Walk in wisdom. And you shall bear fruit. My brothers, if any one of you wanders from the truth and someone brings him back, let him know that whoever brings back a sinner from his wandering will save his soul from death and will cover a multitude of sins. Isn't that an amazing scripture? My brothers, if any of you wanders from the truth and someone brings him back, do you know what? We all wonder. How do I know that? Because we're likened to sheep. And sheep have a propensity to get lost. Every day. And in fact, you can go online, there are the clips of like a sheep getting taken out of a hole and it jumps right back in. And you think, okay, just shoot the thing. Right? But God's not like that. 70 times 7, we wander from the truth, wander from the truth. I wander from the truth all the time. Even in my driving in my car, my, my thoughts wander to places I think, oh God, forgive me. And, I, you know, and, and God just brings you right back on track. And so when I've got a young person or my own daughters telling me, Dad, I'm struggling with this, I say, hey, baby, this is what you're thinking, isn't it? Yes, how did you know? <laughs> See, seen the movie, got the T-shirt, smelt the fire. I've been there, done that, got the T-shirt. There's nothing you can confess to me, family, that I'm not guilty of myself. I've been there. So when you come to speak to me, don't feel guilty? No. My role is to help Elijah, Samuel, and if you're an elder in this church, man or woman, and somebody's come to you because they've got, they're struggling with something, our role in your life is to help set you free through the anointing of the Holy Spirit and by the blood of the Lamb. Jesus has got a plan for your life. And he wants you to be righteous. Jesus is the band-aid. He covers you with his love. And he sets you free. Seventy times seven. To love is to forgive. And God wants you to be righteous before him. He wants you to walk in power. He wants you to walk in the anointing. Be free. You've been created to be free. You're more value than any strat violin. See, God restores and pours out his spirit. He brings healing. Healing is different to a miracle. Healing is instantaneous. Miracles are instantaneous and healing is a process. God needed to heal Martin. And then I needed revelation on how I needed to walk with even the non-Christians in my life like my stepmother. I needed that revelation. I did not know what I did not know. And as you spend time with God, God gives you revelation of how to appreciate people and love people. And bring you back into unity with them. Don't be surprised when the world hates you. But don't be offended by the world hating you. They don't know any different. It's, it's, it's us getting upset with a baby. Of course they don't know. So we walk in grace and say, Lord, as you have restored me, help me to restore your children. And so God restores you. He restores me. And we walk down the road holding his hand and say, God, this is, life is really fun. I'm filled with the spirit of gladness, as Spurgeon. Go and read Spurgeon on that. It's, like, it's just wonderful, but old English, but it's still great. It just, let us walk in the spirit of gladness and this anointing and this life that we've been blessed with.
You and I need to be patient. Patience is the companion of wisdom. And that's what James is about. He's just speaking wisdom. And I need to be patient with these babies, do we not? And boy, sometimes I'm not patient. But I need patience and I need wisdom. And just like Solomon, God saying, Solomon, ask for anything you want. Lord, give me wisdom to serve your church, to serve your children, your, your people. Please, help me, help me not to be a hindrance, be a, be, a, be a blessing to your church. And so what's the one thought today? Is that you've been called to prayer, and prayer is about connectivity with God. God says pray unceasingly. That means holding on to God's hand and talking to him, singing to him, just enjoying God's presence perpetually, continuously, and that's what it means to be in a place of prayer. And as we close this morning, as you and I spend time with God's precious people in this world, understand that people are going to have bits and pieces of their life all over the place. And God helps you just to bring them back together through the Holy Spirit and piece them back together that they come into a place of unity with God. Say, how did I get right? Well, I'm holding on to the hand of Jesus and I don't let go. Try. And your and my role in life is to get people, take their hand, put their hand in the hand of Jesus and you tell them, no, don't let go. And when they're slipping and sliding and they're backslidden, they say, well, when last did you hold God's hand? Uh, I haven't in a while. I'm feeling too guilty. They're confessing. Come. Let us bring you to a place of restoration. Let's pour over the Holy Spirit. Let's pray. Here's your hand. Back in the hand of Jesus. You're good. Let's go. Somebody once said the gospel is so simple a child can understand it. As we, as we get older, we want to complicate things. No. Just walk in mercy before the throne of God and say, Lord, here am I today. Just cleanse me through the washing of your word and, and just help me to do today what you've called me to do today and help me to love whoever you bring upon my path. Because ultimately, every day is welcome on. We come into God's presence. God's house, doors of God's home are always open. He says, you are invited to live in this place. And when we go out into the world and find the lost and bring them home, we're just bringing them home. We're saying, and God's going to say, welcome home, my child. Think of the, the prodigal son, right? The dad is waiting for the child to return. It's not God who's gone missing or God who's withdrawn himself. It's we who withdraw ourselves from God. Let us close in prayer this morning. And let us pray. Let's close our eyes and, and invite the Holy Spirit just to guide us. Father, we just thank you that you love us with an everlasting love. Father, thank you that you're the one who who've welcomed us into your home. And that you call us to live and enjoy your presence. That we can sing praises to your name. That we can call out in your name. And yet, Father God, even as James says, we can go out into the world and look for the lost. And, and those that are wondering, that have walked away maybe a little bit. And just say, hey, now's the time to be restored to you. And so, Father, I'm praying for any brother or sister in Christ here today that maybe have wondered just a little bit that they would just call out to your name.
And if you're one of those people this morning and you, and you say, Lord, I've wandered away a little bit and I've, I feel like I've backslidden a little bit, and you just say, Lord, here am I. I just want to turn away from that and just reignite my relationship with you this morning and say, Lord, thank you for me coming into your presence. Lord, please come into, take hold of my hand and come into my life and, and may your word wash me this week and help me to spend time in your word. Lord, that I may see the change in my life that you want to see. Lord, help me to be more like Jesus. Help me to love the children that live in this world. Not that we need to be part of the world, but that we need to bring people out of the world and into your presence. So Father, I pray for your anointing, your oil to be poured out on every one of the people listening to this message this morning. That Father God, they would feel your anointing and they would just call out in your name and be healed. We pray and ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.